Hello, church. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Um, let's get started and we'll pray for our time together. We'll continue to talk about church unity. Lord, we're so grateful to be here this morning. We thank you that we're able to get out of bed this morning, that you got us here safely. I pray that you remove any distractions from not only Sunday school, but also from the main service and hearing your word preached, Lord, that we can fully understand what you have for us. Uh, I pray that these things resonate in our hearts and that we are able to apply them, Lord, and live out your word and be doers, doers of your word. Uh, we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So today we are continuing our lesson on church unity, and this week's lesson is building a bond of unity in our church. So if, you, if we think of all the places where people experience any sort of unity or fellowship or community, uh, we can think of a bunch. Um, the main one that comes to mind is, you know, sports events, tailgating, um, the barbershop, perhaps, if you're going to get your haircut. I don't do that as much these days. I do, actually. I go, I get to get my beard trimmed. Um, the, maybe the, the water cooler at the office, right, at work is a big one. You, you experience community there, um, family reunions, and, of course, our local church. So in Acts 2.42, it says that early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So that leads us to a question I want to discuss as we begin. What makes Christian fellowship different than worldly friendships and relationships? And that, there's an important distinction there. All of these answers point us to the heart of what makes Christian fellowship different, and it's based on a Christ-like love. It's a love that, that doesn't come from within us. It comes from outside of us. In the first few weeks of this class, we looked at how unity formed, is formed in the church through the foundation of the new identity that we all share in Christ all the way through various aspects of our life together, from church membership to preaching and prayer. Today, we're going to be discussing fellowship within the church, specifically how church members love each other based on the bond of unity that God has formed in us. So what do relationships look like in a spiritual, supernatural church community um, that we have here today? So next week, we're going to look at contentment. That's a good one. And how to deal with discontentment in the church when fellowship isn't going well. But before we get there, we need to address what our fellowship should look like for us to have a unity and a compelling witness to a watching world. Amen? So first point, what characterizes healthy relationship in a church? So as Christians, the question is, how should we relate to one another? Specifically, what characterizes healthy relationships in the church? The answer is both simple and profound. It's love, right? You're like, okay, we hear that a lot these days. Um, love, right? In a word, Christ-like love is what makes our fellowship distinct from every other earthly community. Jesus says in John chapter 13, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. There's a tall order. So you must love one another. By, all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's a pretty, pretty big commandment. So why is love important? 
because God is glorified when people who have little else in common but Christ live together they, when they live together in genuine love. This is what Paul is so excited about in chapter 3 of Ephesians that previously clashing peoples, right? Who did he address? Jew and Gentile. Those two were drastically against one another. And now they are unified in the family of church. This supernatural reconciliation brings the angels in heaven to their knees in awe. Think about that. Think about it. So why does God showcase his glory to the world through our love in the church? Because our love models, if only by pale reflection, the unity of love in the triune God. This is exactly what Jesus prays for the Father in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, starting in verse 22, it says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may become one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love me, even as you loved me. Our love for each other, rooted in our commonality in Christ, is a picture of the loving unity of the Godhead. So a brief overview of, our, of, of what Christian love is. So if this is the key aspect of Christian fellowship is love, let's spend a moment thinking about what love involves. Love is such a common word and concept that we've got to make sure it doesn't become meaningless. Jonathan Edwards, his simple definition is helpful here. <clears throat> he says, love is that disposition or affection by which one is dear to one another. That disposition or affection by which one is dear to another. As Christians, we are dear to one another because we are dear to God. It's very simple. Being God's child involves loving what God loves, and God loves the church so much that he purchased her with his own blood. God love, God's love models, then, that love isn't merely an emotion or feeling. It models. It is a disposition toward another that expresses itself in concrete action to bring about that person's ultimate good. And I'm going to repeat that. It's a disposition toward another that expresses itself in concrete action to bring about that person's ultimate good. If that's what love is, I want us to notice a few things. So first, Christian love is hard. Love begins with our hearts, and our hearts are the hardest place of all because we're sinners. Why are there so many exhortations in the New Testament for Christians to love each other? Because we need to be told again and again to do this, don't we? In our flesh, we prefer ease to hard conversation. Yes. We prefer relaxing in, instead of serving. Yes, we prefer having our needs met rather than giving our preferences up. And the people we're called to love are sinners as well. And what do they do? They let us down, say awkward and insensitive things, resist our counsel, which incidentally should help us appreciate how patient and merciful Christ is with us, shouldn't it? Because we do the same thing. 
But second, the second point is that while Christian love can be difficult, we can show love because of God's grace. We love because why? God first loved us. Amen. That's 1 John 4, 19. What does that mean? Is it quid pro quo then? Like I'll invite him or her over for dinner because they invited us last week. No, it means that our ability to love comes from God's love for us. God is both the source and model of our love, isn't he? Again, Edwards puts it well. It is from, I quote, it is from the breathings of the Holy Spirit that Christians' love arises, both towards God and men. The Spirit of God is a spirit of love, and therefore, when the Spirit of God enters into the soul, love enters. God is love, and he who has God dwelling in him by his Spirit will have love dwelling in him, end quote. The most spectacular way that God has shown us his love is in giving us his one and only son that we might not perish but have everlasting life. We all know that verse. But in 1 John 3.16, John 3.16, we read, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So in other words, we can't approach maturity in loving others unless we strive for maturity in grasping the dimensions of God's love. The more we appreciate the magnitude of love Christ has shown us by dying for each and every one of our sins, the more our lives will be characterized by love. Do you want to become more loving, right? Hopefully the answer is yes from all of us. So Jesus said, he who has been forgiven little loves little. That's Luke 7. When we know how much we've been forgiven, then our love should overflow from that, right? We need to have a proper understanding of what that is. Grace, mercy, and forgiveness flows out of that understanding of love. If we keep in mind how much we have sinned against God and one another, and God still loves us in spite of our sin, then we should then show that same love to one another. Freely and eagerly, because that's how he does it with us. If you have ever received uh, an email from me, at the bottom of my emails, I, I do have a quote by Paul Washer, and it says, the most difficult, difficult thing you're ever going to have to do as a Christian is look in the mirror of God's word and see all of your moral flaws and believe that he loves you as much as he says he does. Because that's hard truth for each and every one of us, knowing what we have done. Once we have an understanding of the depth and forgiveness that we have been shown, as Christians who model God's love, we, we can't help but that, then show that to others. Um, and, and more on this later, I, I don't, I'm going to talk about more on that point, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, the third point is the third aspect of Christian love is it brings great joy. It's not only hard for sinners to love, but it's supremely worth it. Loving others doesn't just do them good. It brings us the kind of sure satisfaction we were created along for. In Psalm 133, it says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. What, is, what does John say in 2 John verse 12 when he is writing to a church he knows well? It says, I have much to write to you, 
but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy what, may be made complete. We bring one another joy when we see each other, when we gather together for church, when we fellowship afterwards, when we share meals together, when we spend time with other saints that have also been bought with the blood of Christ. It should bring us great joy as well. How many, how many of us have been refreshed in our faith after spending um, time with another believer? How many of us have had our countenance lifted after getting together with another brother or sister in Christ? Amen. And why is that? It's because they are modeling the love of God. And that brings great joy to one another. How great a joy is it to know that someone loves you and cares for you, right? Not on a superficial level. Do not neglect God's means of grace by not fellowshipping with one another, right? So moving on to the next point, what does loving fellowship look like? Well, keeping these important principles in mind, I want to spend the rest of the class considering how practically we can fulfill this command to love one another inside the church. When our fellowship is marked by Christ-like love, what kind of fellowship will it be? And so we're gonna identify six different aspects of loving fellowship. And the first is, is fellowship in diversity. So it loves, love seeks understanding. As we've already discussed in this course, the church's fellowship is unique because it involves a diverse assortment of people all united around Christ. What does this mean in our relationships in the church? It means that love seeks understanding. Love reaches out to those different than you. Those who are dear to you because of the gospel and seeks to understand their hopes and dreams, struggles and sins, backgrounds and their battles. It seeks reconciliation when there has been alienation and a warm friendship where the world has drawn a line of separation, united in Christ. This is why in James 2, chapter 2, it is, it, he is so adamant that we shouldn't show personal favoritism to anybody. It is why Paul says in Romans 12, not to be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. So you can imagine, can you imagine a church like this, uh, a community where people put the effort to make a real subst substantive uh, substantial friendships with those who have a different cultural background, um, who aren't in the same age range, who um, are in a different stage of life, have a different personality, right? There's a lot of personality conflict among God's people. Uh, but all, who's at the center? Christ. All with Christ at the center. Where, where else can you see um, such a diverse group of people from all different backgrounds and walks of life come together and be friends, true friends, love one another? It's the church. It's God's people. It's, it's amazing to see. So we've talked extensively a few weeks ago um, and I won't repeat what we said then, but I, I do want to give a couple of cautions. Um, but we need to be aware of tokenism 
And what that means is uh, don't pursue someone different from you only so you can just check a box. We don't want to, we don't want to fall into that. Um, no, pursue them because Christ died for them and because you want to see them grow, right? You want to model God's love. And second, be sensitive to how you go about getting to know people who are different. Um, recognizing that your way of pursuing a friendship um, with them comes from your own personality and culture, right? So there could be differences there. Um, it's, it's when we're called to be understanding to one another. And so uh, the second point, love requires sacrifice, fellowship and service. So our fellowship should be characterized by sacrificial love. It's a community of those who come together not only to serve, or not, not only to be served, but to serve. Amen? So in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 10, it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. One way we can do this at Pacific Hope is um, carrying one another's burdens, bearing each other's burdens. As Paul says to do in Galatians 6, this means we come alongside someone in a time of challenge, um, whether it be spiritual, physical, um, you name it, challenges come all the time, and literally help carry their load. It may involve patiently bearing with someone's spiritual struggles for a prolonged period of time, long-suffering, um, in a discipling relationship. It may mean providing material help to someone who is in need, uh, whether it be groceries, a loan, a ride, uh, childcare uh, for them. It may be giving up your Friday nights to visit someone who is sick. Um, service in the church can certainly involve volunteering for things um, like childcare or sound or childcare, <laughs> hospitality, perhaps some childcare. Um, but if, if you're the type of person who loves to sign up and, and get stuff done at the church, let me encourage you not to ignore the kind of service that happens mainly in personal relationships, which often take more time and can be messy can't they? Again, this is by God's grace, um, a normal thing in our church in, in Pacific Hope here. Uh, from, from the meal brigade, brigade providing meals for families who have just had a child who are, or who is sick and maybe a time of crisis, um, they sacrifice uh, their time to, to serve and minister to those, those families. Um, we have servants who sacrifice their time during the week uh, so we, they can teach our kids in Sunday school. Um, the church cleaning team who gives up their Saturday mornings to come and clean this church so we don't have to pay for a service to do it. Um, there's countless other examples of love that are unseen, like providing those in need with a place to stay, maybe a job, um, a shoulder to cry on all night in the hospital, caring for um, elderly members of our body their parents. Um, there's things that happen that are unseen, and God does see it. And our hearts should model God's love and, and be in fellowship with one another and service to others. Amen? So third point, fellowship in truth. Love leads to holiness. So a Christian church is a fellowship in truth. Unlike other communities, we are 
to be marked by an unusual personal transparency and bold honesty as we speak the truth of Scripture to each other. And we do this out of desire to see others grow in holiness, right? Not to tear down, but to lift up. Jesus asked the Father in John 17, 17, right? Remember what he said, sanctify them, which is, that is, make them more holy and pure. Sanctify them in the truth. And what is truth? Your word is truth. Paul told the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Right, that's Colossians 3.16. So let's think of two aspects of fellowship in truth. The first is transparency. This is a tough one for some, so telling the difficult truth about yourself. Um, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This doesn't mean that you open up your darker struggles to all 100 plus members of Pacific Hope, okay? But if we're not opening up to a handful of people, we should ask ourselves why. Are we afraid of being exposed, of being rebuked, or um, of admitting we don't have it all together? Who has it all together? Amen, nobody. Consider that if we hide our sins and faults from those who love us, we are robbing them of the opportunity to do spiritual good. We talked about that last week in praying for one another as a church in, in corporate prayer. So consider that you're, if you model transparency that will teach others what it looks like to humble yourself and will lead to spiritual good for them as well. Okay, so the second aspect, first is transparency, second is proclamation proclamation, telling the truth about God and his word at all times, even when it is difficult for someone to hear. Paul says in Ephesians 4, says, speaking the truth in love, truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, right? We don't just speak the truth and let him deal with it, right? We, we speak the truth in love, um, as we've read in 2 John and we just went through that, is we need to be loving in truth and truthing in love. <clears throat> That's a big one for me. I, I need to work on my loving part, um, which is by a grace of God. Um, so this, this includes ordinary interactions at church. Um, it includes dis, uh, discipling relationships when we meet up with someone of, of the same gender, right? We want to be discipling men with men and women with women. We don't want to have unmarried couples discipling one another. It can lead down a sticky road. Um, but uh, when we read through a book, maybe, uh, and study together for the express purpose of helping them grow spiritually. So this also involves ex exercising a spiritual watchfulness over one another. Uh, when we read in Hebrews 3, uh, we just went over this, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called, what, today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Cultivate the ability to rebuke in love. Most of us naturally shy away from this because we want to avoid confrontation. Who likes confrontation? It's tough. It's tough. Um, and there might be a handful of folks that think they have the spiritual gift of rebuking um, and enjoy it. Um, just so you know, that's not a spiritual gift. 
stirring up and rebuking. Um, but it is called by scripture, all of us to do, um, to rebuke in love though. But, if it, but it's, the, it's the loving thing to do. Sin aspires to deceive our minds and that we're, we're prone to wander. We should especially watch out for those who seem to be wandering from the truth. Uh, we read in Leviticus chapter 19, um, it instructs rebu rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. We read in James, if, you should, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Right? What a great joy that is that the Lord would use you in that situation to bring a brother or sister back. So do you know friends who at one time seem to be particularly active in the church and have drawn back or maybe even um, have stopped attending church regularly? I think we all have a few of those people that we know. Um, I'd encourage you to give them a call or maybe sit down to have lunch with them um, see how they're doing and what's going on. Right? Not an easy conversation, but necessary. So, of course, we're not uh, just to speak truth to each other when it's an issue of sin. The whole book of Proverbs showcases the value of wise friends who can address the general habits and patterns in our lives. A genuine love for others will probe into these areas, won't it? So, would taking that job cause particular stress in your family? Would taking that business trip put you in a position of temptation? Are your habits of spending time and money oriented fully towards what God values? Right? That, that's Proverbs for you. Checking the heart. And then we can do that with one another and hold each other accountable to God's word in those things. So praise God that this church, and this is a church that we're, we speak truth to one another. And I, and I hear it often. I love hearing the men on Thursday nights quoting scripture to one another. During the study, the Wednesday home fellowship groups discussing the Sunday sermons and speaking truth to, in love to one another. I love how people regularly speak words of encouragement here and comfort to each other after service. Building those relationships through fellowship helps us be comfortable enough to be vulnerable, doesn't it? And in that transparency, other brothers and sisters will proclaim God's truth in love to us, which will encourage us towards holiness. Amen? So the fourth point, fellowship and forgiveness. Love extends mercy. Our fellowship isn't only different because of our willingness to tell the truth, but also because of our willingness to forgive and reconcile when fellowship has been broken. So... Paul says in Colossians 3.13, Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Big one. Christ's forgiveness is the basis for ours. When someone sins against us, what is our instinct? Withdraw, maybe in bitterness, I don't want to have anything to do with them anymore, or maybe get them back, payback or revenge. But neither of these should take place in our church. God hasn't withdrawn, withdrawn from that person, has he? If they're in Christ, he has not withdrawn from them. 
but has adopted them into his family. And Christ has already absorbed God's just wrath from that person, but has adopted them into his family, right? So no more revenge is necessary. The relational and judicial aspects then of God's forgiveness make our forgiveness possible. As someone who has been forgiven much by God, we could let sin that God has already dealt with stand between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember the parable of the unmerciful servant whose could be million dollar debt was canceled, but then got indignant when someone couldn't else pay him back five or 10 bucks. Remember that parable? Forgiving from a posture of mercy, and that's an important phrase. Always having a posture of mercy in our lives. So if we forgive from a posture of mercy, then that means refusing to let the sin stand in the way of a loving relationship and refusing to hold the sin against someone. How can we cultivate this posture of mercy? Knowing that people in the church will sin against us. They will do it, guys. If, they, if you haven't experienced it yet, just wait. And you can probably hold your breath on this one because we're all sinners. For, for one, we should regard others as having good intentions and motives in their words and actions rather than jumping to conclusions in our minds. Suspecting some evil intent. We don't want to be doing that. We don't want to judge intentions and motives when we haven't talked to them about it. A good rule of thumb is to never assume someone's motives. You know, or at least you perceive the facts, but we can't always perceive motives. Humility provides the benefit of doubt in that relationship. So then consider that as Christians, we belong to Christ and in eternity, we will belong, consider that as Christians, we belong to Christ and we will be with each other in eternity. So if we have that, that kingdom perspective in mind, we will one day dwell with them in perfect fellowship with no more sinning against each other. So when we look at each other today in, in church, we should remind ourselves that we will be eternally united to Christ. You're loving someone who's on his or her way to perfect Christ-likeness when there will be nothing unloving or abrasive about them. So that should give us patience and perspective. This person won't always be hard to love, will they? Right, and that includes like, don't think of someone else, think of you. <laughs> it's easy to have someone in mind, but uh, that's, that's you too. So a lot of times we're hard to love, we're hard to get along with, um, we can be difficult, and they're called to love us as we're called to love them in that aspect as well. All right? So fifth point is fellowship and suffering. Love brings comfort. Praise God for that. Christian fellowship is unique because suffering doesn't pull our community apart. It pulls us together. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, says Christ um, comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also though through Christ our comfort overflows. 
This means that our relationships should be characterized by a warm, by warmth and gentleness that is a reflection of the compassion of our Savior. Jesus loved in this way, didn't he? So the account in Mark, uh, if we remember that in Mark 1, starting in verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now, Jesus didn't have to touch him to heal him, did he? But why did he do that? To express compassion and to show that he can be made, that he can't be made unclean at the same time. But he cleanses the dirty and the downcast while he remains pure. As the church, we're the body of Christ. We experience what Jesus experiences. That means we will suffer and it means we will be filled with his comfort by his spirit. Christians weren't made to suffer alone. If you are suffering, one of the ways God intends to bring you comfort is through the church. If you know someone who is suffering, now is probably not the time for that word of rebuke, right? It needs to be understanding. But for the Christ-like touch of compassion in their lives. So now is the time for the gentle word, the hug, the prayer, the simply sitting with someone and listening. Right? So offering comfort to someone who's suffering isn't really the type of thing you can check a box and sign up for, is it? You have to be building that relationship first to be able to minister to that person. And then when trials come, be ready to make yourself available. When we gather on Sundays, there are some who are suffering here, uh, maybe with pain or a heartbreak, grief, um, perhaps despair or even financial crisis. But I also see many who make it their habit to, uh, to comfort others through prayer, through their uh, just being there, their presence, through practical help, through simply maybe singing a little louder so that the songs of encouragement can surround those who um, feel too weak to sing when we're singing together corporately. Uh, the sixth and final point, lo, uh, fellowship as one body. Love considers the whole of the body. So we've been talking about loving other individual members of our church, but scripture calls us to love and be committed to the whole congregation, not just a subset. First Corinthians 10 highlights the reality that taking the Lord's Supper together as a church binds us together as one body. But how can we be faithful to love the whole congregation when it's simply not feasible to know all maybe 100 plus members here at the church? And so here's um, four brief suggestions. First, uh, pray through the church directory. We talked about this, I think, last week. Um, we have it on our phones now if you have the app um, and, the, and it's available to, available to you wherever you go. Uh, maybe a few uh, letters of the alphabet each day. Um, that's a great way you can love and serve the entire congregation. If you don't know uh, particular prayer needs of that individual, then pray for, you can pray for them generally. Um, use some of the prayers that we see in Paul, that Paul prays in the New Testament. 
Those are great starting points. And then if you don't know them and their prayer needs, what should you do? Go talk to them on Sunday, right? Second, we can love the whole congregation by building up a few people through discipling so that they can turn, in turn, take what they've learned and minister to others in the congregation, right? Make disciples. So make a key part of your discipling others, teaching them how to disciple others, number one. And another aspect of this is that when you serve in, in childcare, um, you love the whole congregation by allowing many parents who, um, to be discipled by the teaching of God's word here in the main service, right? You know, so we appreciate the people who do that. So parents can have an hour or two to sit under the teaching of God's word and be fed and fellowship with other, other saints, right? That's a, I, I remember having younger kids and it's, it's so high maintenance at that point and you just don't know what's going on and you, you're glad that you made it here Sunday morning. And then um, to be able to, to sit and listen to God's word is very refreshing, especially to moms. I know that because they're with the kids most of the time. So it's a, it's a big service. So thirdly, one of the most practical loving ways we can uh, do this is to give our offerings faithfully and generously for the good of our congregation, right, as we're commanded to do. And lastly, fourth, we can commit to attending members' meetings. There's a new, uh, this is where we show love to our new members by affirming their positions uh, in their profession of faith. And love to departing members, right, as we say goodbye. It's uh, where we oversee the, the mission and health of the church. Uh, that is to say, it's where we show love for the whole church and care for how the body is doing, right, getting updates on one another. So uh, before I wrap up, is there any questions? Hopefully, I, I, I do see... I think everybody in here talks to everybody afterwards. They don't like scoot out right away. Um, but it's a, it's a huge opportunity to get to know other blood-bought saints it's after the service. And today is a great opportunity to do that because we have lots of chili. <laughs> Questions, anybody? If not, I'll wrap up. Okay. So as, as long as God has us on this earth, we will keep loving each other until when we're not here, right? So at Pacific Hope, we pour ourselves out in love for more people every year, even as every year some of our brothers and sisters do say goodbye. Um, that's our joyous calling. And even at the final day, what will remain when this world, with all of its glitz and glamour, passes away? And the answer is love. Paul says, prophecies will cease and tongues will be stilled and knowledge will pass away, but love never fails. Jonathan Edwards said, heaven is a world of love. So there, our love for one another will be perfect and complete because it will flow completely and eternally from the one who is the definition of love. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the people here who live out this truth, 
this unity that we have for one another, our love and our fellowship, and a gentle word to one another, to admonishment in love from your word. Lord, I, I thank you that that happens on a regular basis and that we are doing it not only because we're commanded, but we do have that, that supernatural love for one another and for your body. I pray that this church grows in love and its understanding of one another and its knowledge and wisdom of what love means. Lord, help us to be doers of your word and not just listeners and acting these things out so they will know us by your love. And we pray this in your precious son's holy, holy name. Amen.